0: listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. So we start a new series today, uh, Then Sings My Soul. We've done this a few years. We took last year off. We looked at God in the movies, but we're back to music again. So this is Then Sings My Soul, Volume 3. So you might ask, why a series on music? Like, why do this? Well, music is powerful. Music is a gift of God. Music communicates things to us and in us and through us in ways that words alone simply can't do. Like if I ask you to recite a poem, I wonder how many of you could do it? Or recite two poems or three or four or five? But if I ask you to sing a song, if I played if I played the the, the music to it, you could come up with the lyrics. I mean, not just the, your favorite songs. I don't know what various genres that you might like. Whether whether you're kind of a classic rock uh, person, or kind of country, or pop, or gospel, or contemporary Christian, or kind of Christian hymns, or praise and worship, whatever whatever it is, right? But if we played the music, all of a sudden, those words are right there at the tip of your tongue. Like, where did they come from? Like, I I can't recall them on my own, but somehow my memory rides the rhythm of the music, right? And it it, it brings it back to me. As Carol was saying in our call to worship today, the Psalms were a song book. And generally, we would not read the lyrics of a song. Like, try reading the lyrics of a song. It sounds even more bland than normal, (laughs) right? Um, In fact, my phone's right there. Would you grab my my phone for me? Zach, thanks so much. Appreciate it. So, um, one of those songs that we sang today was a new song for us, and it was um, A Simple Kingdom. That third verse really kind of stood out to me. Your kingdom is backwards. It flows in reverse. What you call a treasure, the the world calls a curse. The small become great. The last become first. Your kingdom is backwards. Lord, teach us to serve. As it is with your kingdom, let it be with your church. Those are some powerful words, but they just don't ring the same if you say them as they do when you sing them. So it's interesting that, that we have a practice of reading psalms as opposed to singing them. So if you went to a synagogue, uh, a Jewish rabbi uh, would not have simply read the psalm. They would have kind of sung it or chan it, chanted it, right? Even when they read scripture, actually, it has a melodic a flow to how it's read. And throughout most of church history, the psalms were the same way. So much so that once we switched over to the practice of reading the Psalms as opposed to singing them, we started to read parts of the instructions about how to sing as though they were parts of the Psalm. So there's a word in Hebrew, uh, Selah, which means to pause. Except you're not supposed to say pause. You're supposed to just pause. <laughs> I don't know if anybody remembers the, uh, the old uh, movie Annie. Um, with the, the, uh, when the orphan has little red curly hair and Daddy Warbucks, you know, is the bald guy. He's trying to, in that film, um, he's trying to get the word out to try and find Annie's biological uh, parents and um, he's in a, a radio uh, station and he's kind of reading the script except he reads the kind of comments about how he's supposed to act and then he's upset because he's done a commercial like, I, I think of that every time I hear somebody say Selah when they're reading a psalm. I'm like, no, don't say that part, right? Like, he, he walks to center stage, and he kind of uh, sticks out his chest, and he says uh, profoundly, no, 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 don't, don't read that bit. Do that bit. And so that's the way psalms are supposed to be kind of sung. They're, they're supposed to be engaged, full-throated and full-hearted. Then sings my soul. Sometimes the psalmist will say things like, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. It's as though my soul has somehow become dormant. My soul is, is, in a, is a little comatose. Like my soul needs some encouragement. So I have to say, come on, soul. Like, let's get in line. Let's, let's step it up. Let's, let's give this a shot. You know, wake up. Don't, don't, don't let this uh, life kind of get by you which can so easily happen. So this passage of scripture is a famous one. It's Elijah's trip to Mount Horeb, right? And so he has just come from the desert of Judea where he had fled from Jezebel, which is interesting because he flees from Jezebel right on the heels of his encounter with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. So we know that story. There's, they're on the prophets of Baal. It's like they're having some kind of uh, contest about who got, whose God is the most powerful. They have two altars, and, and the, the prophets of Baal build an altar, and they try and get it to, to light and to show that Baal is the powerful God. And Elijah is a real uh, trash talker, right? He's like, it's like he's a 15-year-old you know, playing basketball. It's like, hey, what's wrong with your God? Your God must be sleepy. Maybe your God went to the bathroom. That's actually in there. It's in the text, right? Like, you know, where is your God? And so then in response, Elijah kind of douses his altar with water, drenches it, you know, digs a ditch, pours water in that, and then prays and fire comes from heaven and it kind of consumes the, the water and the sacrifice and the altar itself. And <clears throat> growing up, that was a story that we always read. We always kind of stopped reading there. and We kind of celebrated, you know, Elijah's victory, all right? God won, false God zero. But if we think about it, that's not really a story of success as much as it is a story of kind of failure, Because it's right on the heels of that that Elijah's like, oh, no, I shouldn't have done this. The queen is going to kill me. I got to get out of Dodge. Well, really? Do you really have to leave? Because did you not just see what happened? I mean, fire came from heaven, right? Some kind of lightning strike just consumed this whole place. And you think you have to run? But he does, right? So he runs and he hides. And then God provides for him again. In, in the wilderness, and then he, he's told to go to Mount Horeb, which is interesting, because this is the same place in Sinai that Moses would receive the, the Ten Commandments, right? And even there, the story is a different story, right? So the, as, as the text told us, Ashley read it for us, that there was, there was an earthquake, right? The ground shakes, but it says that God is not in the earthquake. And there was a fire, and it says God was not in the fire. And there was a wind, and it says God was not in the wind. And then, as that translation said, there was the sound of sheer silence. I love that phraseology. The sound of sheer silence. What is the sound of silence? Does silence have a sound? I think it does. I think silence can be really quite beautiful. If you live a very hectic, very loud life, try a little bit of silence. It's like a gift from God if you can ever find it, (laughs) right, (laughs) wherever it is. Like silence, uh, Sting says that um, silence is what music is about. Like the purpose of music is to frame the silence, to put a frame around it so that the pause or the rest I guess it's called a music theory, that time when there isn't any music or there there isn't any sound, is this kind of beautiful space. One spiritual writer actually referred to silence as God's first language. Silence is that language of the heart. Silence, you know, when we experience silence with someone we don't know, it's often uncomfortable or it's awkward, and we feel like we need to fill the silence. But once we really know someone, once we're close to them, silence is no longer awkward, right? You can kind of be together kind of at long stretches without the need to kind of fill it with just, well, filler, right? And the same goes with God. We don't necessarily have to use all of these words over and over, but rather silence can be this experience of deep uh, presence, uh, deep Um, communion uh, with the other and particularly with God. So it's interesting about all these things from from the battle of the gods on Mount Carmel to the deliverance in the wilderness to now um, in Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb uh, in the Sinai. He's experiencing all these things. But what's interesting is all of those stories kind of beginning to end, if you took Elijah out of it, the story basically happens exactly the same way. Like nothing significantly changes. It's almost as though as a change agent, he's, he's useless, <laughs> even though the story, I guess, is about him. This is, uh, this is similar to uh, Indiana Jones and in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Do you know that film? I know this is supposed to be about songs, not about films, but stay with me just for a second. But in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones is this great archaeologist, this professor who's supposed to go and find the Ark of the Covenant, right, uh, that's been lost and to kind of protect it so the Nazis don't get it. And he's supposed to be the hero who saves the day. So he goes through all of these events except that, Despite everything he does and how smart he is and how athletic he is and, and how you know fate seems to be on his side, at the end of the film, the Nazis still get it, and God has to take care of everything. So if you actually take Indiana Jones out of Indiana Jones and uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, the outcome turns out to be exactly the same. <laughs> Which makes me wonder, like even in our own stories, like we seem to think, though, that we're the center of all these things. And when we think that, we can get the wrong impression that somehow we are suffering in a way that others don't. That somehow our situation is so unique and no one has ever been through it quite like us. And we can kind of um, devolve into a bit of a a pity party. And it's, it's really quite unhealthy psychologically and spiritually. You see... God is at work, and God can get things done. As he says to Elijah here, look, I got 7,000 others just like you. you. You just won. We got this covered, buddy. Now, you're welcome. We want you. But don't you think it hinges only on you? That's not this story. What you need to know is that you are not alone why I kind of chose this song. I love this song by the Script. I I, I couldn't tell you another song they sing. Actually, I don't know if they're a one-hit wonder or if this this song just kind of kind of caught my attention. But this idea that it feels like we're alone, it feels like no one's there, but there is someone out there, <laughs> and they're sending up flares. Um. To again, I just said don't don't speak lyrics. You should sing lyrics, but here I am speaking them again. But yeah, that's exact, it's exactly right that was it the smoke in your eyes or was it the sparks that you saw? You see, if you have eyes to see, you can look back over your life and see all of these various ways in which God has been at work, and not just in your life, but in the life of others. And we can kind of trust the hand of providence, that you are not alone, that God is with you, and God is not just with you, he's with others. In fact, God is with all of us, and God is for all of us. There's no one that God is kind of against. He, he's, he is, you know, created all of us in his image, he died for all of us, and he wants to save all of us. And so, just an awareness of those things. And I know we can, we can get kind of down, and we can get a little myopic, right? Kind of focused on ourselves and our own situation. But sometimes, just a good song can can lift our spirits. It can kind of remind us that that something else is at work. And even this song, I don't know if you knew it before, but maybe... You can look it up. Um, there's a link to it, I think, in the in the worship companion, or you can just look it up on your on your streaming service, whatever you use, Apple or Amazon or Spotify, what have you. Look it up on YouTube. But it's Flares uh, by the Script, and just let let that song kind of um, resonate or reverberate in your soul. You see, that's another reason why. I want us to kind of continue this practice of, of finding God in music is that um, for, too, for too long in the church, we have uh, drawn a stark line of contrast between the sacred and the profane. And we're saying, you know, these things are godly and these things are ungodly. But we, we run the risk, I think, of calling that which is good evil, which is a pretty pretty bad thing to do. Like Christian music is an interesting term. If we're actually talking about the music, what makes it Christian? Is it the chords C, E, and G? Apparently, since that seems to be the only chords we ever play Christian music in. Those are the Christian chords. But you got to be wary of those minor chords. A minor, D minor, Satan's, Satan's work. No, it's all Christian. It's all sacred. Do you know what the term sacred means? Sacred means set apart for God. So you tell me, what part of your life is not set apart for God? Is it your family or your children? Is it your work? Is it your home, your car? No. All of our lives have been baptized. Right? We were baptized into the waters of baptism, and we have been filled to the brim and overflowing with the Spirit. And so what could have been a demarcation between those things of the world and those things of God, they're all things of God. All those things. When we we feast, it's godly. When we fast, it's godly. Right? When we sing, it's godly. When we sit in silence, it's godly. And that we can find God in all of creation. We can find God in the mountain. The mountain has its own music, earth, wind, and fire, <laughs> an earthquake, the fire, the wind. I shouldn't have explained it. It was better. <laughs> it, was a, it was better without me explaining it. I apologize. I just ruined that one. But, uh, but, the, but those things, yeah, the, the, the mountain has its own rhythm, the world has a rhythm, even when we're not aware of it. And again, I think this is what music can do for us. It can get us in touch with the deeper things, Thing, things that are, our consciousness is sometimes unaware, unaware of, but our subconscious can be. You know, we actually say that sometimes. I can't get this song out of my head, you know, because our subconscious is strong. It can hold on to things better than our consciousness can. And so that's why I think regular church attendance and regularly coming to the table and regularly praying and regularly singing is important because it gets down into your subconscious. Mm. You find yourself praying in, in your dreams, right? You'll, you'll wake up with a song kind of on your lips. And there's a few times in my life I can think of that, and it's so powerful. One last thing, kind of coming back to the mountain, this mountain of God, Aldo wrote the uh, San County Almanac, right? He has this little essay called Thinking Like a Mountain. And in it, uh, I think we've read it before actually in church, but, but in it, he speaks about uh, a mountain's life, which is a long life, right? Much longer than a person, much longer than a tree. And this particular mountain is, is, is um, lamenting the loss of the wolf, because the mountain used to like to hear the howl of the wolf, and the howl of the wolf meant a lot of things. It meant that things were in balance. But when people had come along, they were afraid of the wolves, and the wolves were potentially dangerous to them, and so they had kind of executed them all, right? Executed is probably the wrong word. Exterminated, right? They had exterminated the wolves, and so now the wolves weren't there. But when you take the wolf out of the mountain's ecosystem, other things that were in balance are now not in balance. And so uh, animals that the wolves might have kind of kept in check are now kind of breeding and populating out of control. And so we have um, deer populations that have gone kind of berserk and they've eaten all of the foliage off the side of the mountain and now the mountain's kind of eroded. and, And what used to be completely forested is now just a bare rock And the mountain longs for a time where it can hear again the howl of the wolf and it can have a balance to life. Just an interesting thought that Mm -hmm. the arc is long. Martin Luther King Jr. will say that the um, arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Eugene Peterson says a similar thing about discipleship. He describes discipleship as as obedience in a long direction. Is that it? A long obedience. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Peterson describes discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. Man, what a beautiful phrase. I want you to think about that. Discipleship is a long obedience. In the same direction, you see that's what we're after. Po- poetry, poetry, is 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 the music of words, right? It's like wor- lyrical words, obedience in a long direction, a long obedience in the same direction. Excuse me, a long obedience in the same direction. It's it's when we get that, I think, that we'll find. I don't know, kind of a, a soundtrack for our lives. And we'll hear, we'll hear the music of the cross. And we'll experience the peace of what all of those things can, can be like. And we'll realize that we're not alone. That there is someone out there kind of sending up flares.